Thank you, Sharon. Good morning to all of you that are here with us this morning and also to those listening on the radio for our worship service at First Church. I have several announcements before we start our service. Yesterday and today mark anniversaries in our church. Uh, three years ago yesterday, Tori Bridigan, our youth pastor, joined our family. And two years ago today, Pastor Joel and his family became our senior pastor here at First Church. Today, Tori will lead us in worship as Pastor Joel and his family are on vacation. So we're anxious to hear what God has placed on her heart this morning to share with us. Uh, due to scheduling conflicts, our Sky Zone trip will be canceled. We'll be trying to reschedule it sometime in August or early September. So keep your eyes on the bulletin for dates that may be pertaining to that. On Sunday, July 29th, next Sunday, Shannon Rediger will be here to be sharing information on her upcoming trip to India for three months for a three-month internship with a nonprofit organization called Rescue Pink. There is more information in your bulletin about that this morning. We also need help in our nursery. So if anybody would want to help during our Sunday morning services in the nursery, we have a sign-up sheet on the front pew. And if you know of anybody who might be interested in that, please contact the church office. I have one other announcement. Robert Camper passed away on July 20th. He was married to Joanne Kettler from New Knoxville. Viewing will be Monday from 4 to 8, and services are 1 p.m. Thursday. There will be more details in the paper about that. Uh, That takes care of my... uh, Announcements this morning. So now if you'd please stand and join me in our call to worship. This morning is taken from Psalm 119, verses 65 through 72. Do good to your servant according to your word, Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with flies, I keep your precepts in my heart. Your hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Please remain standing for opening him this morning. Number four, how great thou art.
as the children come forward for the children chat with Mrs. Rohrball, just take a moment and greet one another. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Oh, no, I only had one kiddo. Good morning. Oh, my gosh, we're so quiet today. Are you guys all awake? Hello. Good morning. Okay, well, <laughs> third time's the charm. <laughs> all right. Well, guess what? Morgan and I are going on a trip. Where do you guys think we're going? Any ideas? Do you think we're going to Hawaii? Chicago? Texas? The Bahamas? <laughs> you guys have any idea where Morgan and I are going? We got a bag whole packed. Where do you guys think water. we're Oh, water is a good idea. That would be fun to go splash in the ocean or something. Water, that's a good idea. We're not going to the water. Where are we going? We're going to heaven, and we brought some of our important things in our luggage that mean a lot to us that we want to take to heaven with us. We got to take all this stuff to heaven. We got some car keys. We got to take my car, right? We got to get there. We got a tablet. We all know we love our tablets. Oh, Nor- Morgan's got those. Got some Nike tennis shoes. Don't want our feet to get hot. Um, let's see. I got an iPad. We got some headphones so we can listen to. Music. Well, I brought my charger because it's all these electronics. We need a charger. So we yeah. both brought chargers because those are, like, super important. Those are brought my laptop so I can get my computer stuff going on. And we got to look. Well, I thought it was in here. We got to look pretty. So we got to get jewelry in here, right? And then on top of everything, we might need some spending cash. So I brought some money. Do you think we can take all this stuff with us to heaven? No. Why not? You're right. In Luke 18, 24 through 26, it says, Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who who then can be saved? So even if we're rich or poor or we don't have the new iPhone or the new iPod, God will still love us no matter what, and he will still save us because he loves us. So let's go ahead and pray, okay? You guys want to bow your heads? Dear Lord, we don't need our, thi- we don't need our toys, electronics, or things that are important to us. If we have you in our life and in our hearts, that is all we need. Amen. lost in the last week in our service, in operations in the Red Sea, Ensign Sarah Mitchell, 23, from Feasterville, Pennsylvania, in Norfolk, Virginia, Staff Sergeant Jose Antonio Ramirez, 24, from Whittier, California, Cannon Air Force Base, New Mexico, Airman First Class, Marcus Jimenez, 23, from Octon, Texas. Thank you, Jay, and thank you, Shelby and Morgan. It's so fun to see our youth involved in children's chat, and what a great message. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us here today. We thank you for your love and your grace that you extend to us each and every day. We thank you that we can come to you in prayer and that you listen to all of our requests and the many things that we have on our hearts that we come with. God, we pray for all of those that are listed on our cares and concerns list. We pray for all those who are hurting, and we ask that you would be their comfort. We pray for those who have lost loved ones. We pray that you would be present with them and bring them peace in this difficult time. God, we pray for all of our military personnel and the people that fight so hard for our country and for our freedom, and for the freedom to be able to come here and freely worship you, Lord. God, we ask that you would continue to keep them safe, and we thank you so much for the sacrifice they are making for all of us. God, I pray that as we continue to move through this worship service this morning, that you would be in, you would be with us, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts, in our minds, Lord. God, I pray that you would be big and that you would be present. I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts and our ears for what you have for us today. And I pray that you would help us to focus in on uh, these next couple moments and that we would worship you. God, I also thank you that you taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite the ushers to come up for this morning's offering. Our offering goes to the painting project and Brittany Weirwell will be blessing us with some music. God, I give you what I can today. Scattered ashes that I hid away, I lay them all at your feet. From the corners of my deepest shame, the empty places where I've worn your name, show me the love I say I believe. Help me to lay it down, oh Lord, I lay it down. Oh, let this be where I die, my Lord, with Thee, crucified. My kingdom's fall Once and for all Once and for all There is victory in my Savior's loss In the crimson flowing from the cross Pour over me me
from Luke 18, verses 18 through 30. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. 
Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. We'll remain standing and sing hymn number 202, Amazing Grace. Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you that we can praise you and worship you. 
And God, I pray in these next moments that you would help us to focus our hearts on you and what you have for us. God, I pray that you would be big and I would be little and that you would use me as a vessel for your word, Lord. And I pray that the words that come out of my mouth would be um, your words and not mine. God, I pray that you would help us to focus um, and that you would uh, work in mighty ways in our hearts this morning. Amen. All right. Well, I'm excited today for two reasons. And the first reason being that I have been here for three years. I cannot believe I have been here for three years. Sometimes it feels like I just got here, and other times it feels like I've been here for much, much longer than three years. But it has been an amazing ride so far. And honestly, I think it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made to follow Jesus here to a little town called New Knoxville. Um, And I had no idea what, what I was getting myself into, but it has been amazing. So thank you so much for welcoming me into your family three years ago. Um... And just for loving me and my husband as well, uh, it's just been a huge blessing. So thank you. And also, I'm excited because I get to do something I love today, which is share the Word of God and teach. And so I'm happy to do that with the people I love uh, and to celebrate three years here in New Knoxville by doing something I love. So, yeah, it's going to be a good morning. But one of the best parts about my job is hearing the questions that our students and our kids ask. It's one of my favorite parts because little kids ask those adorably innocent questions about God, about Jesus, about faith, and they're really just trying to figure out this whole life of faith in their minds. And then the junior hires and our high school students, they come in and they start asking the tough questions about life about God, about the Bible, about right and wrong, and some of those gray areas in life. I love hearing their questions, and I love working with them to find the answers together. And I believe that it is in our questions that they point us to God's truth. But sometimes the answers that we find, I know especially in high school Bible study, we look at answers at, um, for different questions in God's word. They're not always the answers that we wanted to hear. Growing up, my mom and dad used to tuck my sister and I into bed. And I was a horrible kid to put to sleep. I would do anything to get out of going to bed. And in an effort to go to get me to go to sleep, my parents would read to me, they would talk to me, they would pray with me, and then when they got up to say goodnight and to leave the room, I would start in, and I would start asking for more water, I would ask a million questions, and then I would ask for more prayers. And that one always got me more time awake, because who can say no to a kid that just wants to pray with their mom and dad? I mean, come on. But anyway, I would do anything to get out of going to bed, going, get out of going to bed. And my poor parents, they operated on no sleep for probably the first eight years of my life. They're pretty much saints in my book. But I remember one night in particular, my mom was tucking me into bed, and we had just finished praying, and I started to ask her all the questions that I had. And I started asking her questions about what or whom she loved more than me. And so I asked her, Mom, do you love me more than Sammy, my sister? And of course she couldn't say yes, but you know, I always knew that I was kind of the favorite in the family. And then I would ask her, do you love me more than our house, 
your car, your job, anything I could think of. And really, it was just to get out of going to bed. And I remember the last question I asked her. And I said, Mom, do you love me more than you love God? And she said, no. And I was like, what? Are you serious? How can you not love me more than God? I was six at the time, so keep that in mind. But I was just floored that I wasn't the center of her universe and the world didn't revolve around me. Go figure. But my selfish six-year-old self was so offended. And I didn't know God at the time. I didn't know that he is supposed to be our number one. He's supposed to be our first priority. And we had just started going to church, and my Sunday school knowledge was clearly lacking. But I remember being so offended, and I asked her, well, why not? Why don't you love me more than you love God? And she told me that she didn't love me more than she loved God, because as a Christ follower, he has to come first. Her love for him has to come first above everything and everyone else. And so she tried to get me to understand that it was important to love God more than everyone and everything in our lives. But I still went to bed just a little bit angry at my mom that night because she loved someone else more than me. And what I didn't realize at the time, and now that as I look back on that funny memory, is that I learned an important lesson of putting God first and making sure that I love him more than anything else. And I asked her the question because I honestly thought that her answer would be, of course I love you more. Why wouldn't I? But I didn't get the answer that I wanted to hear. How many of you have ever asked a question thinking that you knew what the answer was going to be, but instead you got an answer you didn't want to hear? I'm sure you all can relate to that, but I believe that sometimes the answers that we don't want to hear are the ones that we actually need to hear. Throughout the Bible, we see many instances of people asking and getting responses to questions that they weren't quite prepared for. One of those examples is found in the story of the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. And it has to be one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture, not because it's a feel-good story. It's actually one of the most tragic stories in all of Scripture. But it's my favorite because I can easily place myself in the shoes of the rich young ruler. I can see myself asking the hard question that he asked Jesus, and sometimes even responding the way that he responded. So we pick up our story in verse 18 with this conversation Jesus is having with this young man. And we meet this young ruler, and up to this point, the only things that we really know about this guy is that he is rich and he is young. That's it. And we can assume that because he is wealthy, he probably has a lot of material possessions. I like to think that he might have had a pair of walking sandals for every day of the week and maybe the first, essential, first century equivalent of a Lamborghini. Who knows? But we know that he is rich. And this rich young ruler comes to Jesus seeking the answer to his burning question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. So this young guy comes to Jesus and starts by calling him good. And it was a surprising way to address Jesus because the title good teacher was really only reserved for people that were truly good, completely without sin. 
And so the young ruler must have known a thing or two about Jesus because he came to him calling him good teacher. And it was appropriate because really only Jesus is truly good. So then Jesus poses a question back to him saying, why do you call me good? And it's as if Jesus was saying, you come to me asking what good thing you can do to inherit eternal life. But what do you really know about goodness? The young ruler is seeking an answer to a loaded question. What good things must I do to inherit eternal life? What good things can I do to make sure that at the end of my life, I am on the eternal life express and I am getting into the pearly gates? The rich young ruler believes that his good works are going to get him into eternal life. Jesus then responds to the young ruler by listing off a few of the Ten Commandments. But notice he left off quite a few. He says, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. And you have to honor your mother and your father. Jesus quoted the five commandments that deal with our duty to our brothers and sisters. But he neglected to list off the ones that talked about God. We know that it is wrong to murder, to lie, to cheat, and to steal, and to dishonor our parents. I knew when I was a kid when I was about to lie, and usually I could stop myself from lying if I really wanted to. And the same with these commandments. We can uphold these commandments to some extent on our own strength. And so this rich young ruler had thought, because he had upheld those commandments, that he had a righteous heart. And in the eyes of man, he really did. If someone were to come up to you and say, I've never murdered, I've never lied, I've never cheated, I've never stolen, and I've always honored my mother and father, you would probably think that that person is a pretty good person. But even though he had done the good things and he had upheld the laws, he was still missing the point completely. He thought by doing the right things and leading a good life that that could get him eternal life, that he could do that on his own merit. The young ruler responded to Jesus, well, I've kept all of those. I've done that. I've checked every single box that you just listed. So then Jesus heard this and he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then... Come and follow me. And when the ruler heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. The young ruler had asked a question, thinking he knew the answer he was going to get, thinking that Jesus was going to give him a stamp of approval and pass him on. But instead, Jesus told him an answer that he didn't want to hear. Jesus flat out told him he had to give everything he owned away and to begin to follow Jesus. Jesus' response to the question the ruler had asked cut straight to his heart and to his identity. The ruler had always been rich, and by virtue of him being rich, he had a lot of possessions. He would have to give all of that up in order to follow Jesus. Jesus had exposed that the rich young ruler had other priorities that offered him more than he thought heaven could give. The call to sell everything touched a nerve. It touched a nerve that exposed this man's lack of allegiance to God, and it should have led to his turning to God for grace. But he is not interested in laying out his priorities before the Lord. 
So then Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we don't know anything more about what happened to this rich young ruler after this conversation. All we know is that he walked away sad. And it's a sad ending to this story. But what the ruler didn't realize is the amazing and incredible grace that was being extended to him during that conversation. The rich young ruler had his entire identity wrapped up in the wrong things. The rich in biblical times were seen as blessed. The young ruler's priorities and his identity revolved around money and status. And he was so focused on getting himself into heaven, and he was so blinded by his own stuff, that he failed to recognize what Jesus was extending to him. And it would be impossible for the young ruler to give everything up and follow Jesus. So then Jesus uses this crazy analogy of of a camel going through the eye of a needle just to show how impossible it is for us to earn our way into eternal life. Us trying to earn our way into eternity is just as crazy as trying to fit a huge camel with all of the humps on its back through the tiny hole of a needle. It is just that physically impossible. We cannot do it. But if you notice, Jesus never once changed the demands of what it would cost to follow him when the rich young ruler walked away sad. And he could have. He could have said, well, because you're sad, why don't you just go give, you know, like two-thirds of your stuff away? You can keep the other third, uh, but just give a, a few things away. But he didn't. He never once changed those demands. Instead, he used it as a teachable moment for the disciples. He went on to say, those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all that we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So the disciples at this point were a little bit nervous. They had given everything up to follow Jesus, and they had just heard Jesus say that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible. And so at that moment, they were like, did we make the right decision? Like, we gave everything up. Does that mean we're okay? Like, we're following you, Jesus. And he reminded them that it is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom on his own merits, but it is totally possible with God. It is only by God's grace that anyone can enter into the kingdom of heaven. We cannot earn our way to eternal life. It is only through the grace that Jesus Christ offers us all because he died for us all. Jesus offered that grace to the young ruler and he offers it to us. And because of the grace he extends, the response for the young ruler and for us should be to follow him, even though that means that we might have to give up some things along the way. So you know how I said this is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture? It's because I can easily see myself in the shoes of the young ruler. I think Luke purposely left this story open-ended. We don't know what happened. But I think that this passage gives us the opportunity to decide how we're going to respond. 
Would we be like the rich young ruler and walk away sad, not willing to respond to God's grace? Or would we respond to God's grace by following him no matter what the cost? I think that there are two major things that we can learn from this passage. The first is that we cannot earn our own salvation. We simply cannot be good enough, do good enough to earn our own salvation. We need the Lord. The rich young ruler made the mistake of thinking that he could earn his way into heaven. And by doing the good things and upholding the commandments, that that would help him get there. And like the rich young ruler, we can never earn our way to eternal life. We can never be good enough to get ourselves to eternal life. And the entire reason that God sent his only son to die the sinner's death on the cross for everyone here on earth is because Jesus is the only way to the Father. John 14:6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus lays it all out there, and it says that it's only through him that we have the opportunity to have life with the Father. We can't pave that for ourselves. We can't earn that for ourselves. There is nothing we can physically do to earn eternal life. Only Jesus can. I remember a few years ago, a family member was over at our house. And I don't know how they got on the topic of heaven with my parents, um, but this family member said, well, I think I'll go to heaven because I'm a good person. I've done a lot of really good things, and I think that Jesus will see that, and he'll just, you know, pass me through. And I, in my head, I mean, I just learned about this at youth group, but in my head I was like, no, that's not true. Like, you can't be good enough to go to heaven. You need Jesus. And I was so, I was annoyed that someone would think that, um, And I still to this day regret not saying anything. I should have said something, but I didn't know that if that I could say anything in love at that moment because I had just learned about it at youth group and I knew that it was wrong, but I didn't know how to articulate that in a loving, Christ-like way. So I didn't say anything. But I believe that our world teaches us that if we try hard enough, we can achieve anything that we want. We can be the authors of our own story. We can do anything we want to. And while we have the ability to do many things, gaining eternal life is just not possible without God. It is just as impossible as trying to shove a camel through the eye of a needle. Impossible on our own, but God can totally do it. The rich young ruler sought reassurance. He sought some way of knowing that he had secured himself a spot in eternal life. He came to Jesus asking him to measure and to grade his qualifications or to give him a task that he could do to assure his own immorality. So Jesus gave him a task. And it was the one task the rich young ruler simply could not do. Jesus offers to do the impossible in us to do the impossible, and to gift us life with him. And in many ways, I think it's really easy for us to step into the mindset of the rich young ruler. We think that if we spend so many hours reading our Bible, volunteering, coming to church, doing the Christian thing, then we're good to go. And I think in many ways, I know myself included, that sometimes I feel like I can earn my own salvation. If I just be good enough, do good enough, then, I can, and then I'm good. 
And while all of those things are good, it's good to be a good person, it's good to come to church, it's good to be in your Bibles, keep doing those things, we simply cannot do enough to earn our way to heaven. We simply cannot be good enough to save ourselves. Only Jesus can. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that even though we are never going to be good enough, that we serve a God who is always more than enough. And at the end of the day, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And it is through that salvation that we receive the best gifts of all, relationship with Christ and eternal life with him. The second thing I think we can learn from this passage is how to respond to God's grace. The rich young ruler had the opportunity to respond to the grace that God was extending to him during that conversation. Jesus laid it all out there, and he said, Hey, I am the way to eternal life. Come with me. Start walking with me. Yes, you have to give up some of your stuff, but it pales in comparison to the life that I am offering to you. The young ruler walked away. But we don't have to walk away sad. We can respond to God's grace. And our response is to follow him. And through our following of him, our lives begin to change a little bit at a time. You see, when we respond to the grace that Jesus extends to us all, we now have the responsibility to continually prioritize our hearts and to choose to live our lives following Jesus Christ. This passage challenges us to ask where our fundamental anchors of identity lie. Where do those things that we believe define us lie? The young ruler's identity was anchored to his possessions and his wealth. His priorities were focused on the things of this world, and those anchors provided him earthly security, but could not secure eternity in his life. And we now have the opportunity to ask ourselves the question, as Christ followers, am I responding to God's grace by prioritizing my love and my relationship with him above all else? I believe that our priorities are a direct reflection of our hearts. All of us have many different priorities in our life, and it's good to have priorities. Family, friends, kids, work, sports, I'm sure your list could go on and on. And we can prioritize good things, good things that bring us life and to help us grow in our faith. But our priorities can also become a stumbling block if we're not careful. We can begin to let things creep up into God's place. And I'm guilty of this too. When I was preparing this, I had to take a good hard look at my own priorities and see what things that I tend to place above God. The things that we care about and prioritize the most in this world reflect where our allegiances and our hearts truly lie. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20 says, See today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, his statutes, and his ordinances so that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God may bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But but if your heart turns away, and you do not listen, and you are led astray to bow down to other gods and to worship them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish, and you will not live long in the land you are entering to possess across the Jordan. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. 
Choose life. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, love the Lord your God, obey him and remain faithful to him, for he is your life, and he will prolong your life in the land the Lord swore to give to you, your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I love this passage in Deuteronomy because it clearly lays out two paths that we can choose from. The first path is the path of life. God has gifted us the opportunity to choose a path of life with him, to choose a life of trusting and obeying and loving and walking with him. And the only reason we have the opportunity to even choose that path is because of his grace. And then the other path is death. To choose to live our lives as if none of this matters. As if to not even to respond to God's grace. And to turn and walk away sad just as the rich young ruler did. And I think the thing to remember is that even after we've chosen the path of life, is that we cannot go back to living the way we once did. We cannot go back to those possessions and those identities that tend to pull us away from him. And that means that our priorities and those identity anchors that we have need to start and they need to end with him. One of the things that I always remind our students of is that if we put our identity and our trust in the things of this world, we will always be let down. Sports, family, friends, all of those are great things, but they're not guaranteed. A life of following and trusting Jesus will always be better than the things this world can offer. But we have to choose to respond to God's grace. And through that response, we have to choose to revolve our entire lives around him. If you were to examine all of your priorities and the things that you find your identity in, would they point to the grace that you have received and your relationship with Christ? Or are there other things that you're prioritizing above Christ? Parents and grandparents and adults, are you showing your kids that your relationship with Jesus comes before the calendar of events that take, your time, take time away from things, that take your time and attention away from God? I believe that kids need to see their parents and their grandparents prioritizing their relationship with Jesus Christ above all. Faith formation starts in the home. If your kids see you in, your, in the Bible and see that that is a priority, they will be, hopefully, they will hopefully follow that as they grow older. And as a church, do we show this younger generation the importance of prioritizing our own relationship with Jesus Christ? We have to be living into that as individuals, but also as a church, because we are the models for this next generation, and we cannot expect them to follow and prioritize Jesus if we're not doing it ourselves. And at the end of the day, I believe the question that we all have to ask ourselves is, am I responding to God's grace by prioritizing my relationship and my love for God above all else? Does my family see that? Do the people I work with see that? And do the people that I encounter on a daily basis see that God is our number one? A heart focused on God can do so many things. We do not have to walk away sad like the rich young ruler. We can choose to follow Christ and to revolve our lives around him. And it is through God's strength and his grace that we can do that. What human beings cannot do, God is able to do. Only God can change a human heart and open the way to himself. God makes it possible.
So this passage ends with the same topic it began, eternal life. We must align ourselves in relationship with Jesus Christ and rest everything on his care. This is called faith, trusting in Jesus to know that he is going to care for us even when we decide to give everything up and follow him. God has made possible what would have otherwise been impossible. The rich young ruler asked the hard and loaded question of what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus has laid it all out there for him and for us. And the question for you now is, are you going to respond to God's grace by continually aligning your life and your priorities to reflect your love and your relationship with him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message and for your words, Lord, of choosing you above all else. God, I pray that in this next week as we go from this place, Lord, that you would help remind us of the spot that is rightfully yours in our life. The number one spot on our priorities, on our, on any of our lists, Lord, that you come first. God, I pray that we would be awesome role models for this next generation of showing them why and what the reasons that it is so important to put you first. God, I pray that as we go from here, that you would help us to take a hard look at our priorities and to help them to reflect more and more of you. Amen. If you'll stand and open your hymns to number 372, Living for Jesus.
Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, says these two things about God's love and his, God, and his grace. God loves us because of who he is and not because of who we are. And it is because of his grace. His grace is the most amazing, perplexing, powerful force in the universe. It is the only hope for our world. And if you catch a mere whiff of grace's scent, it could change your life forever. Go in peace. Thank you.